This is the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. This podcast is brought to you by De Beers Group Ignite, pioneering a new diamond world through groundbreaking innovation, science, and technology. Inspired by the world's unrelenting change, De Beers Ignite is driven to develop creative solutions for the diamond industry, not only for existing challenges, but also for those it may never have faced before, helping you to achieve growth with efficient and accurate technologies throughout the diamond pipeline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rapport Diamond Podcast. I'm Avi Kravitz, and we have a very special guest with us today. It's none other than longtime industry journalist and industry watchdog analyst, um, that's Rob Bates. Um, you'll recognize Rob through his widely read Cutting Remarks blog and as the news editor of JCK Online, where he covers the diamond and jewelry market at a prolific pace. Uh, Rob is also a co-host of um, JCK's Jewelry District podcast. And if that's not enough, he has just published his second novel in a series of three called Murder is Not a Girl's Best Friend. And that follows his first book, which was A Murder is Forever. Um, Rob has a career that's uh, in the diamond and jewelry industry that spans, I think, a good 30 years. And Rob, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's such a great pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast, Rob. Thanks. It's awesome to be here. And it's we're just getting close to 30 years. I remember my uh, old editor was uh, doing it for 12 years. I was like, oh, my God, how could somebody do this for 12 years? <laughs> well, I, I've just celebrated um, 15 years in the industry. And, and so I, I look at you with the same, uh, with the same awe, I guess, that, uh, you know, it's, um, it's 30 years. And uh, you preceded us at Rappaport as well. You kind of started your career at Rappaport writing with Martin, is that right? Yeah. When I was there, but, you know, I was long, long before you, because when I was there, it was very small operation. And even the, the newsletter was like, it was a very, it was a relatively small newsletter. And I think it was only like six or seven people working at the company, which is, from what I hear, is, is huge now. So um, it was kind of when he was just kind of getting the idea to make it more of a formal newsletter and to hire people. And I was, I think, one of the first two or three people he hired. So. And, and that was your first introduction to the, to the industry? Yes, yes, yes. And it was, uh, I, I'll give Martin a lot of credit because, you know, you, you, you come into these jobs, right? You know, you're, uh, I just got out of college. I think it was, uh, it was a really interesting introduction. And it was, you know, right then, right on 47th Street. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, and, you know, he was, he was already had 10 businesses. He had the, uh, you know, starting the computer business and the newsletter business and the trading. And, you know, his instincts were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so much changes, but some things stay the, stay the same. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, we still also have that uh, sort of energy and drive about what's going on in the industry. We also we get that from, uh, from, from Martin as well, still all these years later. Um, but but I'm wondering, you know, apropos the the book that you've just published, was that always in the plan? Sort of, if you look back thirty years or almost thirty years in the industry, um, was it always kind of an ambition of yours to um, to write an industry centric um, novel, as uh, you know, surrounding the diamond industry, or did these did your ideas sort of develop as uh, as in rec in more recent times, or has the industry story evolved? I mean, I've always done 
creative things that I was involved with, like sketch shows and I did comedy. I mean, I've done different things, different kinds of writing. So I always like to have like a creative outlet that goes beyond what I do for full-time work. Um, so uh, we, we actually had a long time ago uh, uh, a guy who worked at JCK who wrote a bunch of mystery novels. And the last one he did involved diamonds and I helped him out with it and you know we kind of said yo maybe we should do something or whatever and then uh at some point like six or seven years ago i met uh an editor a friend of mine's friend we met for drinks and i was telling him like you know hey i was thinking like would the diamond district be a good uh setting for a mystery series and uh he thought it was so uh i ended up uh you know that guy never i never really got in touch with him again he kind of uh uh, blew me off but um regardless uh you know i kind of started it and i was like oh this is kind of okay you know i don't i'm not terribly embarrassed by it and what i liked about it it was kind of um i was just doing it without thinking of the commercial possibilities of just kind of writing it and thinking like okay if this is any good i'll sell it if not you know it's fine and uh so it was it was in that way it was it was a lot of fun I would, I would imagine that makes a big difference, um, and, and it takes the, a bit of the pressure off off the writing if you if you're writing it because you need it to um, to uh, to pay the rent. You know, it's uh, it, it takes on a whole different um, sort of tone. I would imagine. Yeah, and now I'm now I feel a little more pressure, but uh, it's good. Um, so and it's you know it's fun. It's an interesting outlet, and uh, well, you know I don't think it's going to be like a bestseller or anything i'm staying with my day job but uh the harlequin edition of the first one is coming out in a couple of weeks so uh middle middle america is going to get a lot of uh new york judaism we'll see how that goes <laughs> well new york judaism and new york um diamond trade uh education yeah so we'll see how that uh that plays out but yeah i think it's it's been fun you know it's it's, it's hard work obviously but it's fun Sure, sure. I mean, I read the first novel, which, which is great. Um, we haven't quite got the second one yet um, here in Israel. We, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to to ordering it uh, when when I when I come through to the states for the Vegas show. But um, the first one, and and I don't want to give away any spoilers, so maybe I'll I'll let you just give a brief overview of the themes that they're dealing with relating to the diamond trade. Um, you know that uh, the first one, a, mur a murder is forever. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it either, but, you know, it was a stone that was, uh, you know, people had, I guess, differing ideas of the value, and it kind of, like, it kind of, like, got to play with the idea of, like, you know, how do you value diamonds, and how do you value, like, even people, right? Because it kind of, in a way, it kind of mirrored my journey back to the industry in that, um, you know, when I first was looking for a job and I applied with Martin... You know, part of me, since my my grandfather had been in the in the diamond business, part of me like thought, oh, I don't want to work on Forty Seventh Street. It's like going backwards, and you know, so that's kind of the 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 journey that the heroine takes in the in the book. And that at first she's very reluctant to go work for her father, but uh, she has no choice. So, right. Well, that that idea of 
of trust in the industry and trusting the people you deal you you deal with came came through for me. And it's you know, and and we'll get to what's going on at the moment in the in the industry, but that's becoming more and more relevant, of course. Yeah, of course. And uh, I mean, and the second one, I purposely did, didn't do the first one on conflict diamonds because I think that's like to me, it's like a overdone. You know, I. But I think at some point you had to. I had to address it. So, um, and the second one deals with kind of responsible sourcing issues, some of the kind of ethical issues that we deal with and NGOs. And I, I think it's a, it's, it's a different take in that it, you know, kind of shows like what it's like to deal with NGOs and to deal with, you know, artisanal miners. And it's, uh, it's very loosely, 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 loosely based on, uh, the peace diamond that, that Martin did. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I hope people get a positive uh, message about you know social awareness and, and stuff like that. I think I think the trade's a little leerier of this one because they hate that particular issue and that particular subject. <laughs> I was I was going to ask um, actually how the in industry outsider has reacted to these issues. Um, if you've had in, had that sort of feedback, because I, I mean. We're in a closed sort of circle within the trade, and and a lot of people within the trade have have read the book and are aware of these issues. So I'm I'm curious how uh, how industry outsiders have uh, responded to these ideas, and and if it's sort of brought to light again, sort of maybe a negative um, perception of the of the industry at all. Is that something you were aware of or concerned about? Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to be. So, you know, it's very interesting. When I met with this first editor, he said, um, uh, I want something that's going to blow the lid off the diamond industry. And I was like, well, I'm not 100% comfortable doing it that way because, you know, I would put a more balanced portrait because, like, no industry is good or bad. But this user said, no, he said, we want something that's going to blow the lid off the industry. And I don't think mine does. I mean, I think it's it's a balanced portrait. Um yeah, I mean, you know, there's been some reviews and some have gotten a negative, some, but I think people are also heartened, you know, people don't necessarily know that these conversations are going on in the industry and the fact that people do care and are are interested and are talking about these things. So I think in that way, it's a positive and it, you know, it just gives the standard advice to, you know, uh, ask questions and, you know, you just think about what you're buying. You know, it's it's certainly not a, a I wouldn't call it an anti-diamond uh, book by any means. But this is unfortunately what a lot of people associate our industry with, fairly or no, you know. And this is this is you know it, it's uh, again I, I I felt it was a little overdone, but I, I I just couldn't ignore it because it is such a part of you know the public perception of our industry and what we talk about a lot. So yeah. Yeah, and you know, as you as you said, it's uh, it, it it encourages people to ask the question. And sometimes, you know, in our reporting, I, I often think, you know, we're so immersed in these issues, um, but then what really happens at retail and and among you know among consumers and retailers are always saying that um, they never get the question from consumer about the the source, um, if the diamond is responsibly sourced or where it's coming from. Um, but we're so engaged with this and, and make such a big deal of this uh, issue. But for me, and uh, I'd love to hear your your take on what's what's happening now with the Russian supply. 
in light of the, the, the war in, in Ukraine, it seems to me that there is now becoming very quickly a, a, a greater awareness, particularly amongst retailers, that, that there is a potential backlash or a potential question that consumers will ask about the origin of their goods. Yeah, I mean, this Russian thing is so high profile that the industry has to be extremely careful not to be perceived on the what I think most people consider the wrong side of this invasion and this issue. Because um, it's just so high profile. And this is, you know, obviously what everybody's talking about right now. As far as, you know, do consumers care? I mean, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you look at all these lab grown companies and even the ones who claim they don't mention it, you know, just about all of them mention it, right? They all find a, find a way to mention it. So you, one assumes they wouldn't do that if they didn't have a commercial imperative to do it. So, yeah, I think this is, this could be nothing, but it could be a serious reputational issue for the industry. And I just saw something today in High Eretz about uh, uh, diamonds. And, you know, obviously the Antwerp press has, has been, and there's been a few things in the, in the uh, U.S., not really in the U.S. press, but in the, in the British press and stuff like that. So it's a reputational risk. You know, I mean, you see these images. It's not anything you want to be associated with, just like conflict diamonds not anything uh, anyone would be would want to be associated with so right and 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 we're also seeing the the at least the major retailers and the and the brands taking sort of going beyond what the sanctions are requiring of them or or it seems like that in the in some of their messaging um you know in in terms of uh you know if it's legal to to buy a a substantially transformed diamond you know, a, a, a Russian diamond that was cut and polished in in another location and, and imported to the to the United States. If that's legal, they're still sort of they're, they're still. Um, I, I think the messaging in the last week or two has has ramped up that they don't want they they don't want to be associated with even those diamonds, even though the sanctions call for it. And that's probably as a result of the. The, the U.S. government um, raising its uh, its um, sanctions profile on on El Rosa. Yeah, I think you know, depending on how, and it's not a hundred percent clear, and maybe we'll have uh, more um, information in the next couple of days. But it's not a hundred percent clear how those sanctions are interpreted. It could be interpreted that any company with a U.S. presence, their overseas head should not be buying uh, Rosa diamonds, which, you know, would be a, a huge blow uh, and, uh, you know, could be a huge problem. But I think long term, I think something's going to happen with these sanctions. I mean, they just keep getting ratcheting up more and more. So, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's it, it makes sense. And it's just, you know, being careful to uh, start looking at your supply chain because, uh you know, the, the reputational risk and the ethical risk. And, you know, a lot of these, it's interesting reading these things because I think we all know, I mean, especially for the smalls, there's there's not really a guarantee that you can completely avoid Russian diamonds. You can do your best. Uh, there's best practices and there's, you know, things you can do. But, you know, it's very hard to say I'm not ever going to end up with a, even a newly mined Russian diamond in my store. I mean, it's hard. So a lot of these uh, 
uh, statements are very, uh, I'm sure they're very heavily lawyered and very carefully worded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we were talking um, internally um, uh, t- uh, today on, and this, this week that it seems that the, that, that the industry, that w- within the dealer market, the, there'll be a bifurcation of supply. And so there will be buyers in other senses of, of Russian goods. Um, you know, the, the Chinese uh, market would probably be open to, to buying um, the Russian goods. And then, you know, the, the European and those ethical, ethically minded um, European uh, jewelry houses would focus on the non-Russian goods. And so within the dealer market, it might actually all balance out but then the, the the bigger question is if that major U.S. retailer can fulfill their requirements, like you like you mentioned, of those smaller goods that they rely on on El Rosa for, um, if they um, if they're able to fill their inventory requirements without without that um, that supply. Yeah, I think that's going to be very very difficult, just because those goods are like the extremely difficult to trace. So. Um, I think they have a, I think that's going to be a real problem. Uh, I mean, again, I think you know nobody necessarily expects perfection, or at least I hope they don't expect perfection because they're certainly not going to get it. But you know, you want people to be looking at this and 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 making best efforts. And and certainly, uh, oil is a much bigger issue, and we're uh, awash in Russian oil. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, you know it, it is. I think. For whatever reason, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of reasons why people don't like the diamond industry. You know, I I like the diamond industry, but, you know, it's like because of the history of monopoly, because of the conflict diamond issue, because, you know, men feel compelled uh, to buy it. Um, So, you know, it's just like another black mark, you know, and some people have had bad experiences with jewelers. So, I mean, you, you, you add all that up. It's not, you know, this is a industry with a lot of burdens, you know, with that that's, you know, faces a negative consumer uh, perception. Now, plenty of people still buy diamonds. It's not dire. But, you know, I think, you know, it's something you just have to be extremely, extremely careful. And especially with such an emotional, high profile issue like this one. How do you see this playing out? And I, I guess it's an, it might be an unfair question because it, it it probably really just depends on how long this um, the conflict is is going to um, going to play out for. Um, but uh, in terms of the industry and and people, you know, my impression is that that people feel that it's going to be a, a temporary sort of sanction on El Rosa. But I'm wondering if that uh, if if that that negative perception that's been created about the Russian supply, you know, I wonder how long that's going to last, um, even after the conflict. Okay. Um, yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a huge issue for them, right? Because, uh, you know, the Russian brand, it was never great, but I think people had a certain, people separated Alrosa, the company from its ownership. Uh, from the fact that the Russian government owned it. And now I think there's less of a separation. And, you know, uh, assuming Putin stays in power for whatever next five years, I mean, I think this is going to be ongoing hostilities between the United States and Russia, even if this ends tomorrow, which it's not likely to do at this, as we're speaking. So, 
Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it could be a, a longer term problem uh, for our Rosa. And I don't, you know, there's no real way out of it. And, you know, I mean, I guess they could sell their government holding, but they're blocked from <laughs> selling um, stock, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's... And I don't think they would want to either. I don't think they would they would want to. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, that that could be definitely a, a long term problem, uh, you know, and certainly a big opportunity for lab grown, possibly. So um, we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it's it's uh, it, it's it's you know it's weird how things turn on a dime. I mean, because last year the industry was celebrating one of its best years ever. Um, and now we kind of have this new crisis that's uh, potentially very serious. It was, yeah, I mean, Robert, but it was literally within within a two week period that you we saw that positive sentiment that the market began the year with, um, just turn. And uh, I, I've never, you know, in my time in the trade, I've never really seen um this sort of, you know, for me, it seems a very unique challenge that the industry's never faced before. Um, even with the blood, you know, even compared to the blood diamond challenge, um, that you know the the blood diamond challenge had a, it didn't have the scale of supply that um that the Russian goods have. So it's a it you know that 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 would have affected a, a demand perspective about the diamond industry. Here it's got it's hitting it from both sides. There's a there, there there's a potential backlash on the demand that that's a Consumers might associate all diamonds with uh, with the Russian with the Russian supply, and then there's the supply challenge as well. That um, Elrosa accounts for such a large stake in the diamond um, supply chain that it's 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 potentially going to have a real effect on the, on the industry dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, I 100 percent agree, and um, it is because of the scale of Elrosa because how involved it is been in the industry uh both as a member of groups and a funder of different groups um and uh yeah and as you before mentioned uh not every market is going to have the same reaction as the u.s market to our rosa goods so uh you know assuming we're we're all hoping this this war will end um uh, assuming it does, what happens then is, you know, I, I don't think Putin was necessarily a beloved figure uh, over here or really anywhere. But, you know, like his, I mean, the, the Russian quote unquote brand is, is just is just gone. So, I mean, you know, I, I mean, and, 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 and I think in a way it's interesting, I mean, because you talked a little bit about how the trade talks to each other um, that I mean, the, Two years ago or so, they were talking about starting a Russian diamond brand, that this would be something consumers would want, you know, which now you look at it, you think that that's a, a, a ridiculous idea, right? And even, you know, even when I see sometimes, yeah, and I think the idea is that uh, Arosa was very proud and uh, of its operations and was proud of its social impact and, and they just felt because of those reasons, they thought that consumers would necessarily feel the same way. And I think, you know, I, I think sometimes in the trade, we, we talk to each other. And I think that sometimes I, I worry the same thing is going to happen with, with De Beers, the fact that De Beers is trying to brand itself. Well, 
you know, we know De Beers as a company that's, you know, made a lot of strides, that is not the same company it was 20 years ago, uh, that does some good things like Gemfair and does some good things for Botswana. But, you know, the average person on the street doesn't necessarily know that. And it's going to take a long process of education to really get that through to people. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, th- I think one one of the uh, one of the interesting side stories for me um, is has been the industry's reaction to Alrosa because Alrosa became. I, I think Alrosa did a good job in the last few years of building its brand and uh, within the industry and its involvement in the industry. And it was a relatively transparent company. Actually, it became you know um, since it became public, it's been given great great data and and really giving out a lot of information about its operations and then also sitting on important boards like you know the the World Diamond Council the Natural Diamond Council the RJC um etc and so there's this personal connection that the that the trade has with these personalities from El Rosa and they became friends and so so you know that sort of it's kind of had to they've had to divorce that, them, themselves from that um which has been an interesting little exercise, and and now, and as you said, that brand awareness and the, the or that brand goodwill that El, El Rosa managed to build up um, within the trade has has really been um, been uh, s- sort of um, lost now. You know, in our coverage of of the market, and and we're we're not based, we're not sitting in in the United States. You know, our editorial is is generally in Israel, and sometimes it gets a bit challenging to speak to the the smaller dealers in the market in the US and the the sort of independent retailers in the in the US um, as well. We generally hear more from the bigger brands and, and the chains. Is there an you know what's the awareness and, and the feeling amongst that segment of the market? That's those smaller companies about the the Russian is, issue. I, I would say it's all over the map. I mean, there's the people who think you know, like with conflict diamonds, that oh, it's not our problem. What are you, what are you bothering me for? Uh, you know, since this is such a big issue here. Um, it's, uh, a lot of people are really trying to avoid, uh, Russian diamonds. So I think it, it, it's all over the map and I think people are a little nervous and, uh, because, you know, the, again, the, the procedures are not there, the, you know, it is, it's possible, uh, to track diamonds or to at least have a better sense of your supply chain. I mean, the, the, the procedures exist for that to happen. It's, but they have not been widely embraced at this point, so or in wide use. So, uh, yeah, I think people are are very nervous because they, uh, you know, and and you know, people, you know, the there's a wide variety of uh, perspectives, but I think most people uh, don't want to be associated with what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I th- I, th- I think in the in in the same way that COVID. Um, sort of accelerated the the, the industry's um, adoption of online trading and selling, um, selling at retail and and the whole digital space. This uh, this challenge or crisis is going to accelerate the adoption of traceability and um, source verification programs. And the those smaller dealers and and retailers as well, I think, always felt it was a bit uh, elusive for them. 
that they uh, that they didn't quite have the the support to uh, adopt them, and that there was the sense that they that it was the larger chains um, developing these programs, and in order to take more market share and strengthen their position in the market. And I think this um, I hope that this gives them those those smaller companies a push towards their disclosure of ethical sourcing. Um, and I wonder if that'll that'll happen um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I th- I, I think so. I mean, it it, it de- again it depends on the company. It depends on where you're located. But uh, I think you know, people are starting to take this seriously. That you have to know where you're. You have to get a better sense of where your goods come from. It doesn't have to be again a perfect sense. Uh, but you want to to know as much as possible. And um, you know, my sense is even if there are sanctions, they probably won't be, uh, you know, they probably won't be greatly enforced um, just because, you know, if you look at like things like Merengue diamonds, which are banned in the United States and Burma rubies, you know, I don't, I, you, you didn't see very much enforcement of, of, of either of those. And, and now there's like, you know, 20 other sanctions. So, I mean, I think there's a lot uh, if you're the customs, you're, there's a lot on the pl- on their plate. Uh, I think what's 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 helpful from their standpoint is that just one, uh, you know, company getting in trouble would uh, send the entire trade into a panic. So um, you kind of uh, want it takes one high profile case that uh, you know. To- yes, and, and that would be it, right? Right. So in that way, it's kind of cost effective uh, for them, but. Um, uh, I, th- I think it's going to, uh, I think every company is starting to look again at their procedures and, you know, some, you know, might, uh, even stop one company said they're, they're, they're thinking of doing more lab grown just because they don't need this hassle, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, I think companies are going to start to look at their procedures again and it's, it's, it's. It's it is definitely a challenge, and you know we need to really start thinking about you know since I I mean I think at some point serious sanctions are on Arosa. I mean there are already serious sanctions on Arosa, but I think uh, you know there will be a, a sanction against Russian origin goods that doesn't include this kind of uh, substantial transformation uh, out. Um, and even you know, even when the the United States put those first sanctions on Russian diamonds, it was it was very interesting. They waited like five hours to kind of announce that uh, this substantial transformation, uh, call it a loophole, call it a provision, call it what you will, uh, exists, right? So you know, they had the kind of whole trade panicking for about five hours. Like, what are we going to do? My sense on that is that they weren't aware of it. Um, that it is it's just you know that uh, and then it took the JVC to clarify and uh, and then that as you say um you know sort of loophole and became apparent and um or it was an inten- or, it's, or it was intentional because it would have initially made that uh, been a harmful thing for for jewelers um that uh, and gave them time to adjust you know the the general pattern has been with these sanctions, you start small and then you kind of ratchet up, ratchet up, ratchet up. Um, and uh, that's what we've certainly seen with diamonds from, you know, the, the first sanctions on Arosa were very minor until now you have it on the, on the OFAC list. And uh, 
I mean, that that is a question. Will it, would it, you know, post-invasion stay on the OFAC list? I mean, this is a company that was a member of the UN Global Compact, so it's not like it's an outlaw company. And I think actually it's still a member of the UN Global Compact. So um, I don't consider it like an outlaw company necessarily, but it's it's connected to an outlaw, some would say government. So, you know, this is, you know, will, will Arosa stay on the OFAC list, which is kind of the toughest penalty? You know, that, that would probably be an open question, I guess, uh, post-invasion. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's crazy. And, you know, again, just given the status and the stature of Arosa, it's, uh, and, and I agree that they have made um, efforts to be more transparent, whether that's because of their ownership and or the fact that they're Russian, or in spite of that, um, you know, it is something that they've certainly prioritized, and they certainly, you know, I think a, a lot of us uh, noted the irony that you know here <laughs> they put this together this beautiful social responsibility report, and then it's like okay, but you know, like. Yeah. Uh, but, um, by the way, uh, you know, our owners invading Ukraine. I mean, it was like so it was just so weird, you know, but uh, I, I don't think uh, anybody really understand what's, what's going on in the, uh, the Kremlin right now. So, yeah, well, it's uh, hopefully we'll we'll find out we'll find out soon about the post invasion and, uh, you know, that this conflict will end soon and then uh, we'll we'll deal with these issues um when when it comes when they come about for now it's uh, it's pretty black you know i think it's pretty clear for for companies um what they need to do so rob just to to change the the subject quickly before before we wrap up i'm looking forward to seeing you in vegas um and i wonder if you are you have any insights as to what we can expect um in vegas so you, you're often sort of involved in educational programs um, last year was a, a, a bit of a different show. I wonder if we we can uh, expect sort of a, a return to to the older format where we see uh, more people returning to the shows and more of those sort of um, very uh, very helpful sort of sessions that uh, that that, that the JCK show has um, become known for. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume so. Uh, I mean, people don't believe it when I say this, but I don't. You know, I'm pretty disconnected from the show people. I don't really, you know, they, well, we, we talk to them, but, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, on a regular basis. So, um, you know, they kind of do their own thing and uh, I do my own thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, look, look, we just had the 24 Carol weekend, four events, no masks. So um, assuming, you know, and we were all hopeful uh, things continue on a, on a, at least a decent trajectory, uh, you know, it could be just like a regular show. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, and I think, yeah, there will be education. There'll hopefully be glitzy parties and stuff. And it'll, it'll, it, we're all hopeful. We got two weeks, two months rather. And, uh, I'm going to be actually in the AGS, uh, in two weeks from now so um yeah we'll just have to see you know it's uh uh covid has definitely uh, been unpredictable but i think we're all we're all hopeful for a for a regular event and even last year's i mean were you were you at last year's or i can't remember yeah i, I thought it was great yeah it was nice it was, it was nice and everybody wore masks and they survived you know so and and people were so it was there was almost a sense of relief 
that that people were were back together, you know. And I think this this year will be even will. I think that relief would have um, died down a bit, but people will be excited to <laughs> to you know they'll be excited to get out there and and network. Um, it's, a, it's such a great networking event. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It was very it was very odd going to these uh, 24 karat weekend events because it felt it was something that was so familiar, right? Because I've done it a, a million times, but yet so you know different in that I haven't done it in a long time, and it just you know it it, it just it, it felt kind of slightly forbidden in a way. So right, right. Or it, or it was a throwback to your earlier days in the trade, where where everything seemed new and uh, like a new experience again. It's uh, sometimes nice to have that. Yeah, and it's weird, you know. It's uh, and I mean, it was just it was nice to see people on on a non Zoom basis, you know, because Zoom is not. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, People, people are tired of it. But um, Rob, thanks so much for, for your time and, and joining us. It's been, a, it's been great having you on. So, so yeah, where, where can people find you? Where can they, they find the books that, you, that you've written? Yeah, so I, I have an author website, robbatesauthor.com, and uh, you can pick it up. Uh, that has all the links to, like, Amazon and to, you know, all the places. Uh, and, you know, to, if you want to support local bookstores, there's bookshop, I think, org and or IndieBound and stuff like that. So, um, and it's available as an ebook. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, um, if you're not following Rob on Facebook or or Twitter or, or LinkedIn, it's um, it's well worth doing so. Um, I'm often in awe not only of your your ability to write books in between your day jobs, but also to post so so frequently on social media, which is a challenge. I'm still trying to uh, <laughs> trying to get get my head around. That is definitely something that is a uh, huge time suck that I'm trying to, uh, I mean, I think it's good. Honestly, sometimes the conversations are good for me to um, refine my ideas. So, and, you know, uh, kind of think things through, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I keep telling myself to stop that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, please don't for, for everyone else's sake, um, Rob, <laughs> but look after yourself. That's the, that's the main thing. Great. So, Rob, thanks very much for, for joining us, and uh, I look forward to continuing the, the conversation. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing you in Vegas, and uh, I love Rappaport still. I have uh, always sentimental attachment to it as the place that gave me my start, and I admire uh, a lot of the work that, that Martin's doing and that obviously that you guys are doing, and the amount of material you guys pump out is amazing, too. So. Great. Thanks so much. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Ignite, a full service innovation science and technology division within the De Beers Group, spearheading step change throughout the diamond industry. 